0: Filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room Podcast.
1: How important is the role of the leader in driving business performance and promoting a culture where people feel safe, secure and motivated? It's a question that has had much debate and much discussion over the years, with many leaders still wondering what's best for them and their people. Well, the good news is we're joined by someone today who may be able to give us some advice and guidance on this topic. Today, today we're delighted to be joined by Sheila Walsh, coach, lecturer, consultant, and all-round specialist in inclusive leadership and performance. Thanks for joining us, Sheila. How are you?
2: Thanks for having me, Owen and Mary. I appreciate it. I'm
3: doing well. I'm doing well.
1: Brilliant stuff. And as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, founder and managing director here at Inside HR. How are you, Mary?
3: I'm great. Thanks, Owen. And Sheila, I'm really looking forward to this uh, discussion today. I think it's just so important in um, organisations and not enough attention on it at all. 100%
1: is something we're speaking about a lot this month, so we're delighted to have you, Sheila. So look, I'll jump right in and come to yourself, Sheila, if that's all right first. So I know we spoke uh, offline previously, we spoke about the three P's of inclusive leadership. Can you talk to us a little bit about those? What are they? Why are they important? All that good stuff.
2: Perfect. So I suppose the three P's are people, performance and potential. Um, And the reason that over the last number of years I've really focused on those when I think about inclusive leadership or when I work with organisations is that there was this intrinsic desire to separate inclusion from performance, from, from kind of management and leadership, almost like it's a separate thing that was done later. And so people is what it sounds like. It's people, all people, including the leader, Um, and all members of the organization but it also um, lends us quite nicely to the marketplace as well it it allows us to consider the people we're serving Um, performance is the traditional sense of performance individual performance but we're also talking about team and organizational performance which is different to measuring individual performance and it actually requires completely different skills so kind of understanding that the performance of an organization isn't simply bringing a group of individual performers together that doesn't necessarily result in the highest performance. Um, And then when it comes to potential, again, a couple of layers to it. The first set is our people's potential, so that's individuals, teams, and organizations. There's the potential for the untapped um, and innovative ideas and, and services we can provide or create. And then there's also the potential, the untapped market we haven't got into. When you're thinking about inclusive leadership through those lens, you can link it very strongly to business strategy, to business goals. And then also you can make sure that that thread moves throughout every decision that's being made. And so it's a, those three have a number of other elements to them as well. But when we think about those three and we think about the different elements, each organization can make decisions about its priority based on what's important in each area. Um, at this time. And so that changes. like during COVID, it was more people. Now we're looking at more potential because we see AI and innovation. So it allows you to kind of assess your priorities on an ongoing basis and be responsive um, without forgetting people or without forgetting performance or, you know, without forgetting that actually there's a load of potential we haven't tapped. Like that's where a lot of businesses won and lost. Um, so it's quite an encompassing um, perspective, I guess.
1: And, stuff. and I, I always like to see it kind of nicely packaged together to three pieces, something that will be, I suppose, memorable and will be communicated easily. Um, Especially to kind of jump into a second question as well, um, to bombard you straight off the bat, as we like to do. Um, that kind of, I suppose the audience we have, Sheila, tends to be HR teams, leaders, that kind of stuff. Um, so I might come back to that initial question I included in the bios so of the role of leadership in driving organizational performance. What's your kind of perspective on that, Sheila? Because I assume it's obviously... As we know, it's more than just simply driving productivity day to day, isn't it? It's much more than that. Yes.
2: Yeah, so, so there's two parts. Productivity is only a part of performance. So productivity, you can have very productive teams who are not performing very well. So first, we have to decide whether productivity is the attempt, the focus or performance is. Um, and then in terms of the role of leaders, I think there's there's two key pieces I know when I work with HR teams. One is that often when people think about leadership driving performance, they think about formal titles, formal roles, and yes, formal leaders have very significant roles, they set the compass, they set the kind of North Star, they set the standards of culture and practice that are accepted and expected, but often what gets neglected um, in terms of HR is that often there is a lack of knowing the social leaders that exist within the organisation, and those leaders influence whether people buy in, reject, you know, reject, uh And those social leaders don't need positions to be influential and to both either drive performance or limit it. And most people will know about those leaders when they're limiting performance. That's when HR professionals end up hearing about them is because so-and-so said, and now 10 of us disagree with what you're doing, you know, but actually often those social leaders, those change champions are often also helping HR with no direct contact without you even knowing And so if you're thinking about performance, yes, think about your formal leaders and how you set them up to understand performance and their role in it and the standards they're setting. But creating a link with informal leaders, thinking about how you're connecting to the social leaders in the organization may have a bigger impact on performance than you've actually um, thought it would, you know, in advance. And so I have found that if you're doing any movement, you're making any changes You need both those types of leaders, the formal and the social leaders engaged in some way. And then they can help that kind of um, social level of performance, that discussion over the tea break where people say, oh yeah, that's grand, but in my performance review, I'm going to say this or do that. You know, they can help those conversations um, in ways that formal leaders can't always, because it's very clear that their responsibilities are to the organisation. And so... I, I do think leaders have a key piece, but I think there's two types of leaders worth considering for your audience to say, oh, who are we leveraging? Have we supported the formal leaders effectively enough to drive performance? Are we accessing the informal leaders to give them a role in driving performance as well? Um, and so, yeah, I think both of those are really key.
1: Mm, definitely it's such an important point because it is quite complex and it can be easy to forget how complex things like performance management, leadership, all this kind of stuff is. Um So there's a question I'll come to you both of you uh, for the next one, but Mary, I might come to yourself first for this one. So just on that kind of last point, that kind of segue there that I mentioned, I suppose, what are some of the forgotten aspects of performance management? The things things that leaders must be cognizant of when, I suppose, managing people and performance, the things like, I suppose, psychological safety, open communication, all those things come into it as well, Mary, don't they? There's a lot of layers to this stuff.
3: Without a doubt, and and I agree with you, Sheila. You know, when you're when you're looking at performance overall, you really do have to link back to the organisational strategy. You know what? What are we trying to achieve with uh, any performance management? Process. What are we trying to achieve with any leadership program? Um, and I think we're we don't ask at the senior levels enough, or challenge enough what our existing systems are actually doing for us. So, for example, when it comes to the performance management process, so for eons we've been, you know, uh, doing. Uh, annual performance reviews or quarterly performance reviews or uh, every six months and now there's a movement towards conversations more frequent conversations whether they're monthly or quarterly and um, but I, I still think from a HR perspective we can't just jump on a bandwagon we st- we always have to look and say well What's our strategy? What's our organisation trying to achieve? What people problems do we have that we can either um, resolve through a performance management system, for instance, or that we that's hindering performance? Um, and how can we change what we're actually doing so that we can get the best? I love that three Ps, people, performance, potential, because every organisation is... is looking in their own unique way at their own organization and just taking a system from somewhere else and plunking it into your organization won't necessarily work. So it does require, I think, far more thought uh, when it comes to the, uh, you know, getting the best out of people. Well, don't you need people aligned to your vision and your purpose, which brings me back to strategy? Don't you need your formal leaders actually communicating effectively throughout the organisation what that vision, mission, strategy is? Um, And don't you need it cascading throughout the organisation everywhere? And to avoid what Sheila talks about, having that one person that influences 10 others and prevents a change happening, prevents a system being adopted, um, hinders the progress of the organisation in some way. And those people aren't out there deliberately trying to be in the way or deliberately refusing to change or deliberately refusing to adopt a new way of doing things. Um, Those people, in my view, are always untapped. And so when we go into an organisation ourselves and we're, you know, looking at helping an organization figure out some of its people issues, whatever those issues might be. We'll always start with conversations and our conversations are going to be right across the organization. I always ask to to speak to the executive. I'll always look to speak to the management team. And then I want to speak to the best and the worst performers, to the biggest troublemaker that the organisation thinks they have um, and to the person who does most around there but doesn't have a a formal title. Because in that way you get a full picture of an organisation and you can actually start to look at, well, what do we need to do as opposed to let me take this super cool system that I saw Google has just implemented, that will work for us, but actually we're a fraction of their size. Um, we're not in a, a multinational and will that system really work for you? You've got to, you, ha- you have to ask questions. It might be great, but, and there might be elements that work, but, but can you just plonk it in? No.
1: 100%. And I suppose... She like coming off the back of that, it's not just, again, as Mary says there, it's not just about the system. There's kind of a organisational culture side to this as well, isn't there? Because I know you're a big advocate. She loves mm. psychological safety in that aspect. So there is definitely layers there, like Mary says.
2: Yeah, and I love the way Mary's broken it down. I think that's really helpful. I always see that big troublemaker as the uh, unmet needs. And that doesn't mean, like, sometimes the unmet needs of a person. And I do get that there's sometimes expectations of the organisation are inaccurate. Um, but sometimes it's an unmet need that they're the only person willing to voice it publicly, but actually there's rumblings of it in the background. And and that's where that psychological safety kicks in really, really fundamentally is um if you walk into an organization and there's psychological safety, you won't ever need to be told that because it's it's because it's in how people interact, it's in what secrets are kept or not kept. But that has an impact on performance because that impacts um, at the individual level about what they can and can't get help with. It impacts on the team level of, are they safe to expose themselves? But then on that organisational level, like Mary pointed out, which I absolutely love, is you cannot, well, you can, loads of organisations do, it just isn't successful, take and adopt something without really assessing its implications for your culture and for your leaders. So one of the big issues I see um, with this is that, often most of the people on a senior management team got there during a process that didn't value something that's now being introduced. And they say, how do we, usually the HR team is saying, how do I get them on board? And I'm like, well, they were rewarded for everything but this. Not that they they were against it, but usually when you get to that senior uh, leadership team, you've got there because certain things were valued during that process, during your application, during your engagement. Usually when you're introducing a change, those People didn't role model that change you're introducing. So they already have a risk straight off the bat that they will be exposed in some way. So, just like Mary said, that conversation piece is really important. And it's also important to acknowledge that we need to be able to assess where not just this idea of the organization as a whole are, but compartments of the organization, because different people are in different parts based on how they've performed to date and what they've been rewarded for. And if you're changing the way that you want people, to perform and how you reward them then actually you're more likely to get more senior levels of the organization struggling than more junior and um, because unfortunately they were rewarded for other things which they did very well and um, and so you need to think about the fact that improving performance even across an organization requires different um, scaffolding in different parts so I would always speak to the senior leadership team as a group hear what they're saying speak to them individually and to say What's your concerns about this move forward? What what do I need to know? What do you think you need to do so this doesn't catch you out in two years? You know, individually, because until they're safe, they cannot sca- cascade that behavior. Um, and this assumption that leaders are safer than more junior people is really a false, you know, a false belief around organizations because they have different compartments that work in different ways. Um, and then obviously because my background is in inclusion. There and, and I see it outside of diversity and inclusion efforts. I actually see it as a performance piece. There is a piece of understanding that that senior management team what had them included was it playing golf? Was it the school they went to? Was it where they're from? You know, was their friend's friend the person who introduced them? The things that had them included might be the things you're now trying to rectify somewhere else. And so, you need to think about how that threatens people who are very established and capable. Um, and so, performance at the senior leadership team will and should be different to the performance at middle management, to the performance at junior levels. And so this idea that we have one standard, I, I don't think is helpful. Um, and I, I think it will set different people up for different types of threat and a lack of psychological safety. Um, so I agree with everything Mary said, um, and I'd, I'd add those kind of nuances to it from my perspective as well.
1: Definitely, definitely. And I think another aspect to this, Mary, and kind of a similar train of thought to Sheila there. I think, Mary, another test of performance management and anything really is those kind of tough times, times of volatility and that kind of stuff. And I suppose, Mary, we've seen a lot of redundancies in the likes in kind of recent months. Um, so I suppose what, I suppose in the, in the kind of general vein of what we're speaking about, what advice would you give to, I suppose, leaders in navigating these kind of periods? Like how can they ensure their people are happy and performing in the times of uncertainty as well, Mary?
3: It's really difficult to own uh, and I'm not going to sugarcoat that for any leader out there that's going to, you know, think about restructuring, downsizing, laying off, uh, changing, shutting a department, opening a new one, uh, getting rid of certain things that they're producing. You know, I won't sugarcoat that. But there's ways you can do it really, really, really badly and there's ways in which you can control it as best as you can so that the people that are affected don't feel Absolutely betrayed and let down by the organisation. Um, so I think you, you need only look at, at recent developments, um, you know, with Twitter to look at you know how a, a change management process can be handled uh, in a way that um, negatively impacts the organisation and and causes a whole ton of litigation and and exodus from the organisation and maybe that organization will be replaced with a new type of a leadership, a leadership that's more aligned to Elon Musk than the current leadership were. And that that is always painful in itself. But when you look at managing, you know, I guess, emotion during those tough times, when you look at managing people and asking those who remain to continue to perform, um, it it very much comes back down to communication, to psychological safety, to reassuring uh, the people that continue to be there, that they're in safe hands, um, that they don't need to leave the organisation to get another job or to protect themselves. Um, And what I always see, I think, in in badly managed processes are the wrong people leaving afterwards, you know, the top performers assessing the situation, looking at the communication processes during that period and saying, I didn't like that. I didn't like the way my colleagues were treated. I no longer trust management. I no longer trust that I have a future in this organization, because guess what? They could do it to me too. So I might be safer heading off to this other organization I've heard about. And now I'm going to be really careful about whether I'm aligned to their values, to their direction, and whether there's a home or place for me. Um, so it's always it's always when, when we manage those particular processes, we'll be spending a lot of time talking with the leadership team around managing it as best as possible, so that we don't have the worst possible outcomes arising from them. But it's really tough, Owen, I'm not going to no, lie. It's tough.
1: Definitely. And it probably seemed like a bit of a left field question, but I suppose from what both of you are saying, performance management is something that touches on a lot of things. I think for this next question, I'll, again, I'll come to both of you, but I might come to yourself first, Sheila, if that's right. So we're kind of in that similar train of thought, I mean things like, the great resignation, Sheila, the skills crisis, employee retention, they're all kind of big scary HR news items that don't really get spoken about in the same conversation as performance, performance management. I think a lot of the time, and again, devil's advocate, I think performance management might be seen as more of a day-to-day thing, a task in a way. But how much of a difference can your performance management style make, Sheila, when it comes to retaining, developing, even attracting talent?
2: Mm. So I, I think depending on the size of your organization, it can have a different level of impact. I think that's important. Right. So um, SMEs, it's everything. I mean, you can retain key talent and pay them half of what they can get in the big companies if their relationship with work is positive is positive and they feel like they're thriving and they're doing interesting work or they're hitting, you know, some personal uh, targets or agendas in some way. Um, I'm not suggesting you should keep them at half the rate, but I'm just saying I've seen it in SMEs that can make sure that their culture and that performance is something that's rewarded and not always financially. Everyone thinks it's financial, um, but rewarded praise. Somebody can thrive. They, can, they feel like progress is happening in them as well as in the workplace. Um, and when that's done well, you can compete with really great packages um, because packages only get people in the door the only packages that hold people tend to be the ones that have a timeline next to the, the shares of the company. And they kind of hold people while they emotionally leave, but hold them till a certain date. Um, so in SMEs, I think your performance management probably has a bigger impact on your organization um, than in larger organizations. Not that it doesn't matter, but it's a different kind of impact. I'd also say like around the great resignation and um, around skills, like especially in Ireland, like we know that there's a massive gap in skills. Um, there is an opportunity for SMEs, and I will speak about large companies in a moment, larger, but SMEs to be creative about this. You have people who, in five years, could have the skills you need them to have if you think about this. If you if you think about the strategy, what the growing of the organisation, the types of skills and strengths and people you want involved, but there's no, you can't hold them for five years if you're not managing their performance and they don't feel connected to growing and developing um, in their work. So performance management is both about your now and your future when you're competing with even better packages, because that's what we're looking at in Ireland. We're attracting more and more international business. Larger companies though, what they need to think about in terms of performance management is closer to attracting the skills. So you can advertise your job, but a good manager already has three people wanting to work for them, waiting for that opportunity. And when we're thinking about that competing of skills, um, then performance management matters because that manager has people waiting for them. And when you have a manager who has people wanting to work for them, you've got a team that's pretty solid, even as people move and progress and promote So as your team grows, you actually have that natural incline of other people. So I think larger companies have, have an opportunity here around attraction. Um, the other key thing is about sustainability. What worked once in the workplace, we know that even just from a generational point of view, it's going to be one of the most intergenerational workplaces we've ever faced. And for the first time ever, your age doesn't dictate your seniority because there are people entering your organisation with more skills than the person who's been there 15 years. And that's true for large companies. So we know that how you manage the, these things will have an impact on how people feel about work and also have an impact on what they see as being rewarded so previously promotions, increases, packages, these were rewards. Well, now there's a bit more of being important in the company, being important in the industry, um, having a reputation. That's why we see like the likes of Twitter being used more and LinkedIn around conversations, um, depending on your industry. So performance management is no longer an internal thing for big organizations. It is your brand. And how your people manage their people is what people are saying behind the scenes on Twitter on LinkedIn, conversations with the, with other key talent in another company. So they are your ultimate brands now. Your, your performance management is your brand in action. Um, and that's going to be about your sustainability. But also from that intergenerational point of view, what is going to hold your organisation as a high performing organisation in the market will not be simply rewarding those who've stayed the longest. And it won't necessarily be rewarding those who are more senior. Those those kind of rewards will shift as the as the uh, component of your your employees change, as the culture identity changes, as the expectations of the marketplace change. And so you need to think about performance management as keeping you linked in with these changes, rather than trying to kind of um, suggest uh, reward is directly related to. Um, kind of length of stay or you know qualifications actually reward needs to be linked to how you represent our brand you know how you attract and retain your people if you're going for promotions I want to see questions like how many people did you retain what's your longest employee under your command you know um, how did you promote our values how did you promote equality and inclusion here show me the evidence like I don't want to know that you managed a budget of 13 million I want to know how you managed that budget of 13 million and how the people behaved while you did that that will tell me about what you're doing to our brand um and to the sustainability of our business in the future um so there so i think there's a slight difference depending on the nature the kind of size of your business both important
1: though yeah definitely and again it's complex so there will be connotation so definitely agree with all that because i suppose mary that old phrase um what is it people don't leave bad jobs they leave bad managers it seems like a quite simplistic phrase but it's probably one that kind of fits in here nicely as well, Mary, because I think with performance management being such a big part of that, getting performance management right can really kind of strengthen things. It's one of those foundational things, like we've we've always said, Mary, isn't it? A
3: hundred percent agree, own. Um, you know. Most people, when they start a job, are super excited and ex- happy to join the organization. You know, they, they've gone through a process themselves um, in the interview and in their application and given a commitment in terms of their time. So usually by the time they get there, they're pretty enthused about the organization. Um, and nobody wants to leave six months later. That's, you know, it's unusual that people want to leave six months later or, or a year later, or even necessarily two years later. If you do it right, people will want to stay because there will be opportunity. There will be opportunity for the individual. And, and the what's in it for me has to play into it. So while we're looking at organisational performance, while we're looking at individual and team um, performance, we always have to think about ultimately what those individuals are there for. They're there to pay for their life, they're there to have a life, they're there to enjoy their work. Now, if you don't pay people properly, if they don't enjoy their work, and if you aren't facilitating them having a life, then you can expect that somewhere along the line, those people are going to move. Um, Or if you don't get that balance right between the three of those things. Now, that's not to say that people will not put in effort when they need to put in effort or discretionary effort when they need to put in discretionary effort. We have to think about, well, you know, when it comes to performance, who are we as an organization? and um, What do we want, certainly from a larger organizational perspective in terms of brand, do we want people saying that, yeah, it's a great job, you get really well paid, you can travel anywhere in the world, but listen, you're going to work 60 or 70 hours a week for, you know, six months of the year. And the other six months of the year will be okay. Um, And it's a great place to work. Is that what we want? Is that what we want our brand to say about us? And so I would always caution at the HR level, when we are looking at, well, what do we want our performance management system to do that we're really carefully looking at? What do we want people to say about us? Um, When we look to attract people to our organization? Um, Is what's being said by the existing employees strong enough to make people line up to work for us? Or do we really struggle to get people in the door because nobody wants to work for us or very few people want to work for us? Um, And so when you look at the Problems, the people problems, whatever they might be, whether it's attraction, retention, um, attrition, whether you're losing people after six months, 12 months, two years, five years, whatever it might be. If you look under the bonnet, you will find the reasons why. And then your performance management system and your leadership development programs um, should fix that should be aiming to fix that because that's your own unique set of problems. And that's the way I like to think about performance management, not the laborious documenting of um, hours of conversation. So if you imagine, you know, if you have a span of control of 15 people and you've got to give at least at minimum 15 hours of discussion time at a particular point of the year, maybe quarterly, uh, maybe monthly, maybe annually. Um, And then you've got to document probably 15 hours at least, if you're a good writer, um, of discussions. Uh, You're talking about 30 hours minimum. Uh, And I would suggest that you're probably, you know, realistically, If you're looking at a manager, you're probably going to push that up to about 45 hours uh, annually, if that's what they have to do at a particular point in time. So what's gone off their desk? Um, Why do managers hate performance reviews? And it's really simple. When I'm looking at it, it's really simple. If I ask managers why why they find it so difficult, why they're so reluctant to do it, why they haven't scheduled the time with their teams, it's because they don't have the time to schedule. Um, and the system falls down straight away because managers don't want to do it. So I think you really need to look at uh, your own organization, look at how successful or otherwise your existing process is. And don't be afraid of changing it up, coming up with something entirely unique based on discussions with with your leadership, with your management, with your teams, because there might be some brilliant system you can develop all by yourself that doesn't have to be what's done down the road in your competitor's organization. So... To me, performance does encompass those three P's, the people, the performance, the potential. Um, and I think it's a brilliant way of looking at it. And, and like you say, Sheila, you can tick off in each area uh, depending on your priorities at a particular time.
1: Definitely. And I suppose when, I suppose there's probably, well, I say probably there definitely is HR teams, leaders uh, listening to this now thinking, right, it's probably time to reevaluate to look at things. So I suppose final question for both of you, and Sheila, I'll come to yourself for this first. So if there is any HR managers, HR leaders, business leaders out there looking to see how they can support staff, managers to kind of perform, fulfill their potential in a consistent, sustainable way, any kind of final advice on how to get started, how to take that first step, reevaluate, see what needs to be done and what they can do next.
2: And it's going to be the simplest answer, but ask the people who are doing it, just like Mary said, go to the manager and say, what would you, what would you suggest instead? And they might say, these don't work, let's do this. Or what actually gets better performance is this. Um, But ask the people who you um, expect to implement it and gather that, ask them what and then why that. Gather that and then look at your process. Because one of the things I think often happens when we try to improve something is we improve it from our perspective. And whether you're the leader or you're in HR or you're the manager, your perspective is probably only part of the solution. So I would say speak to the people who need the solution, who will benefit from you having a better process. Ask them what they think would make that better. Um, and then think about using your expertise, what you'd apply to that.
1: Definitely. And Mary, I suppose a final word to yourself as well. It's quite consistent with what we'd normally say as well, Mary, isn't it? Communicate with people see what works, see what's missing instead of just throwing something new in there.
3: Yeah, and you know, it's often it's it's funny. I do a bit of training on change management and um to to various levels of of people, and you know, sometimes people are frustrated. You know, with the what what am I getting from this course? I needed all the theory. No, you don't. The very largest element of change management it's about 75% of it in my view comes down to your communication so the tools you use the project management that you systems that you use to to manage the change the new technologies whatever it is you're changing uh, 75% of the project in its A real sense comes down to how you've communicated it to your people, how you have reminded people about doing something different, uh, how you reinforce that within the organization. So to me, um, as a leader, every day is about change. Uh, Every day is about communication. And when we're looking at designing and developing effective systems that work, that actually give us organisational performance, not just individual. um, And that it's not that we're all running around busy and productive, that we're actually growing as a unit in the direction that um, our leadership team are guiding the organisation towards. But it's, it's everybody in it together. And so talking and asking your managers what works, what doesn't, is frustrating you why are we losing people why are you losing people in your department what do you think is happening how can I support you uh, to change that are, are you know do you have time to talk to them instead of you didn't get the performance reviews those 15 reviews back into us and the system is flagging our HR system is flagged to me that you haven't done it which is how HR often go about it um, you know and and you've got disgruntled, upset managers. And my God, doesn't that get reflected in what they say to their teams?
1: Definitely, such an important point to, to close on. So thank you, Mary and Sheila, for a very insightful discussion. I think we covered, if anyone is playing HR buzzword bingo, I think we actually covered pretty much every topic there, which is reflective <laughs> of how important performance management is, though all joking aside. So delighted with that. Um, thank you to everyone for listening as well. We'll catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast. So don't forget to click subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at InsideHR.ie. Thank you, Mary, and thank you, Sheila. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like, and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at InsightHR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.